Hello, friends. Welcome to this week's episode of Tracy Schott's Voices for Change show. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Radio and Incandescent TV. Thrilled to be here. As you know, Tracy is the award-winning producer and director of an amazing film called Finding Jen's Voice. It gives us tremendous insight and empathy into intimate partner violence. This month, Tracy is focusing on this issue in the Black community with this show and her webinar. And we know you are going to love today's guest, Janice Farabi, MSW. She is a globally recognized personal development speaker, author, and female empowerment expert. Truly amazing. She's the founder and chief woman warrior of Farabi International and has more than 40 years experience dealing with these issues and so many more. Oprah recognized her, Essence Magazine recognized her, Seventeen Magazine, she was on the team. And Got It Going On is her brand where she brings Black girls to the forefront. So Tracy, take it away. Thanks, Hope. Hey, it's good to be back. It's been a few weeks since we've been here taking a little summer snooze. I hope you're all uh, enjoying a break from the world. Um, Janice, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to, to do this interview. Um, we met through a mutual MSW friend um, who uh, you were in a program with at the University of Pennsylvania a few years back. Right. We were on the Dean's um, Alumni Council together. Yeah. So um, yeah, my dear friend Santo introduced me to Janice and um, uh, you know, when I heard what she was doing, I'm like, oh, I got, I got, I got to talk to this, I got to talk to this woman. And then when I found out that she was a CWW, a chief woman warrior, I'm like, oh, that's my girl. <laughs> like, I love it. Um, so tell us about yourself, Janice. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. So first of all, thank you so much, Hope and um, Tracy, for having me on the show. And it was wonderful when Santo. Uh, just said there's somebody that you need to meet. And um, when we did, uh, it, it was wonderful just talking with you about the work that I do. Um, as I mentioned to you all before, before we came on the air, I'm a native New Yorker. I've been living here in DC for um, 31 years this month. Um, I was the first African-American models editor for Seventeen Magazine 42 years ago, which is where I uh, started the work that I do today. I started seeing girls, you know, on the go and just started black, white, red, yellow, and brown, just started seeing how girls were willing to kind of massage themselves into, you know, or, you know, just pretzel themselves into any kind of figure um, in order to be considered for the magazine. And when they were told that they weren't going to be in the magazine or on the cover or anything like that, because very few of the young ladies were ever chosen, it was like the greatest disappointment to them. And that's when I first started doing my empowerment um, speak speeches to them, letting them know that you are enough, which is one of the posters that I have. And, you know, that no matter where you go and, and um, whether you're part of 17, the 17 family or not, that you are worthy. And that's where the whole thing started, you know, with the work that I do, moved to DC, started working in real estate, you know, um, and, and um, after I left fashion, 
and then went to University of Pennsylvania, 1996 to 98, and I had started working on my book. Um, and the book started as a result of a program here, the uh, DC Coalition Against Drugs and Violence back in uh, the 90s with uh, then, for, well, former Chief of Police, Ike Fullwood. And there was this Marshall Heights um, Midnight Basketball League. And in order to be a part of the basketball league, whether you wanted to watch, because all the girls were watching, or if you were a young man and wanted to play, you had to go through some of the workshops. And one of the workshops that I created was this empowerment workshop. The gentleman that I was, you know, who was coordinating, he said, well, where's your book? I said, book? Here's my paper. I had stapled all the pieces of paper together. He said, oh, I thought you had a book. I said, no. Those pieces of paper became my first book, Got It Going On, An Image Awareness Guide for Young Ladies. I thought it was going to be the only book I wrote. It became the book for girls 8 to 11 because as I started speaking and people knew what I was doing, people asked for a book for older girls because I started working with teenagers. Ended up going to University of Pennsylvania um, and was on BET's Teen Summit with Ananda Lewis, introduced the book, and then started the program at school. At, um, I was a graduate fellow at the W.E.B. Du Bois College House, started the Fitness and Fashion with Funk program that once I graduated became the Got It Going On Empowerment program for girls. Um, I was featured on Oprah, 2003 Essence Award winner, just started speaking and, and had a program at for about 10 years housed at the YMCA here in DC and just working with girls, whether they were in church, school, adjudicated, because um, I had a partnership with the courts where they would send the girls to my program. They gave me the option of going to Got It Going On or going to a group home. Many of them chose Got It Going On. So I've been doing this work and then kind of took a hiatus, although there were programs going on. I created a um, the second book in 2000, which is the book now that we're talking about, that the 20th anniversary is this was last year. Wow. Can you, I can't believe it. And that that will come out this winter, but facilitator's guide. So I created a, a program and a way for me to uh, train service providers. So there are got it going on folks around the country. And I've done some work in South Africa and Ghana and continue to do this work. And as I said on Oprah, I will continue to do this work until I take my last breath. Oh, that is so awesome. It's, it feels like you were like 20 years ahead of your time. When, when we look at the times we're in right now and um, you know, the, the issue of girls' identity and particularly girls of color identity is, is something that we're talking about a lot more, but we weren't really talking about it 20 some years ago. No, no. And it's interesting that you say that because I was feeling mm, maybe I'm not, this book isn't necessary. And a friend of mine that helped me to co-write, Ken Smith, who, who co-authored the facilitator's guide, he's an instructor at um, Montgomery Blair High School, he said, uh-uh, unfortunately, your book is needed more than ever. And, you know, doing the updates now, because 20 years ago, there was no social media. Right. So adding certain things to the book, you know, now because of the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter, you know, there's a whole chapter on social media, there's a chapter on um, global awareness and, so, and social justice, but girls' identity, black, white, red, yellow, brown, is so influenced by social media today, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm way behind with some of the stuff. Um, you know, it's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up because there's a yeah. new flavor. There's something new, the media, but our girls, um, and as I said, all colors, but especially black girls, because there's so much negativity and there's so much, so many negative images out there that they're having to deal with. And I talk about counteracting crazy, but our girls, <laughs> our girls we can all use a little of that. Yeah, I'm telling you, especially <laughs> after COVID, right? <laughs> but our girls are having to deal with what they see and what's real. And many of them don't know how to discern what's real um, and they become caught they get caught up right. uh, in, in what they see that they and they don't know how to make that distinction well it's interesting you bring up social media um, we did um, a webinar uh, uh, seven months ago on um, teen dating violence and social media was a big part of the conversation because of cyberbullying and um, cyber abuse and, and exploitation um, by intimate partners and former intimate partners online. It's a whole nother um, complexity to growing up uh, in our world. And it's, it, you know, I could see why that would be, that would deserve a chapter in your book. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. so um, we've got a, we, we're gonna be doing a webinar together in um, okay. a couple of months and we're um, for domestic violence awareness month our special webinar is going to be talking about intimate partner violence in the black community and um, janice is going to be our guests as well as a, a few other people which we'll be announcing later um, and i talked to me a little bit about um, how intimate partner violence affects um, girls of color or black girls um, who are teens? Well, I'm glad you asked that. One of the things that I did in doing some research, I found some information, the Urban Institute right here in DC, you know, talking about teens and sexual violence and just a national snapshot talking about teens ages 12 to 16, 12 to 18 are at high risk of sexual violence victimization even higher than young women in college, which is very interesting. Right. Um, but new estimates show that 18% of adolescent girls who date report past year experiences of sexual violence by a current or former dating partner. But black girls and the barriers to seeking help because black girls don't seek the help that they need because many of the black girls, especially here in DC, that live in lower economic areas. Mm -hmm. There aren't as many services. They don't know about them, um, which means we do need to do a better job in um, highlighting them. And that will be great for us to do in October. But yeah. also because of social media and unfortunately because of COVID, which of course, you know, when you were thinking about this probably a couple of years ago, COVID wasn't even around. Mm -hmm. COVID has isolated. It has made it um, a breeding ground for mm -hmm. domestic dating and intimate partner violence because these girls as well as the women where they used to either go to work as a safe haven or right. go to school as a safe haven that is not the case now right. so these young ladies who are in communities that also have come to what do i want to say accept violence as a way of life because right. they don't have people that are modeling 
healthy relationships. That's one of the things that I talk about in my book, what is a healthy relationship? Right. Because a lot of our black girls and girls of color, whether they're um, Latina, uh, you know, African, don't know what healthy relationships are because they start learning about um, abusive relationships early. And right. they, what they see are abusive relationships, not only in their family, but in their community. So programs like mine, the prevention programs are the things that we'll talk more about in October, but those are the things that are gonna be really important. The prevention is, is such an, uh, it's so important and it's, um, it's so overlooked, right? Um, I, I've spent a lot of time um, in the last year talking about intimate partner violence, trying to raise awareness, trying to get people to understand what what domestic violence really is, what intimate partner violence really is, that it's much more than black eyes and, and broken bones, that there are, that the levels of control Absolutely. are, um, are what are the most damaging uh, aspects of IPV. So I've spent a lot of time talking about the problem, you know, trying to get it in front of people's faces. This is a big problem. Take it seriously. It's happening in your own backyard. Stop dismissing it. Stop saying it's happening over there. It's happening everywhere, right? But what we have not done a lot of is talking about well, how do we how do we treat it? How do we um, fix it? How do we prevent it? And the work that you're doing is so important um, in terms of really helping people understand what healthy relationships are and and just building that self-esteem. So give us a little snapshot in, into into Gigo into got it going on got it g-i-g-o got it going on and so tell us a little bit about what happens when um, a young woman enters your program so a lot of what happens before the program um we have well we used to have the got it going on girls hip-hop fitness team so they were a group of girls that had already been through the program because you had to have gone through the program and you know you tried out, but they were a dance and leadership team of girls who had their own issues, um, who use, we used the hook of dancing and putting together routines. And we used to perform at the uh, NBC4 Health and Fitness Expo. So they were kind of the out front promoters and ambassadors of what healthy girlhood looks like. But they also had stories. So they were able to kind of reel in the girls because everybody was like, well, you know, they little goody two shoes and all that kind of stuff. And they would say, no, if you come, you know, come to our program, this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about self-esteem and self-love and um, dating violence. What? Dating violence? Um, sexual activity, early, you know, pregnancy and all those kinds of things that a lot of folks were not wanting to talk about, especially girls in church. And I'll tell you about that story in a minute. But so the, the got it going on girls would be the kind of the, again, ambassadors. And then I also had this book. This is the first edition, got it going on two power tools for girls. Um, 20 years ago, that was the cover. So the book was also part of the program, but the program, the girls would come to the program, it was issue-based, issue discussions and physical fitness. So we would learn, we would do double dutch, we would do stepping, we would do all the different types of things that the girls love doing. 
And then after they, we did that, they would crash, we would have healthy food. So it's all about what was surrounding them. And I would, every Saturday, I would go to the Y and I would um, decorate. It looked like a girl's room. I would get all sorts of stuff from record stores around the area. So it looked like a girl's room. There was, you know, um, really comfortable uh, leather couches to sit on, bean bags and all that kind of stuff. So the girls, after they did some stepping or double dutch or whatever, they would just chill out and we would talk. Sometimes I would have people come in, you know, because I'm a trained um, group counselor, we would also talk. And we had a, what we called a um, no parent zone. So unless parents were invited, you could not come. And parents were never invited. <laughs> so the only way we could get them to the, to the event was um, we invited them. We had a Christmas, we had a holiday event, but the girls, we would go through the book and, and I'm going to give you some of the titles of the sessions that we would have a positive self image. So we would talk about that self love, self esteem, self respect, values, decision making, because a lot of folks don't know that there are five steps to decision making mental, emotional and spiritual fitness, uh, dealing with life's challenges, talking about mental and um, emotional illness, you know, fitness. And that's where we get into suicide and talking about some really you know, intimate partner violence, um, physical fitness, being comfortable in your own skin, intellectual fitness for the new millennium, personal goals, how to have goals, financial, um, then a positive place in society, healthy relationships, healthy communication. That's when we would talk about what a healthy relationship looks like. Right. And I would drill them, you know, and talk to them about what that looks like. So, um, and then staying out of harm's way, looking your best, but talking with them in a non-judgmental way. Um, and that's what I looked for in the people that worked for me, worked mm -hmm. with me, the, the um, assistants. And one of the young ladies that became my program assistant, I mentored her like 20 years before that, when she was in high school. But oh, wow. all of that was part of the prevention. So some of these girls had not even gotten into dating violence. Some of them had, but that's where we, you were talking about prevention and intervention, okay. getting these girls early so they can start learning what healthy relationship looks like, what it's, what it's like when somebody starts, you know, kind of grooming you that starts, you know, right. isolating you, what they start saying, I want to see everything on your phone, or I'm going to, I want to choose what you wear or that I don't like that, you know, and all those kinds of things where a lot of girls think that, if, especially because if you don't have good self-esteem, if you don't have a good um, sense of self and black girls, because of a lot of things that they were seeing on television, wanting to have long straight hair. So they slap on the weaves and all, you know, all of that kind of stuff or not ha being happy about their facial features, you know, or their skin. So if they could get a boy to like them or what they thought was somebody liking them, they would do anything for them. So if this young man started saying, well, I don't want you to see so-and-so and so, you know, all of those things, those are the things that we would talk about and got it going on. You know, these are the things to look out for, but the more you love yourself, the more you value yourself, right. the easier, it's still going to be challenging, but the easier it's going to be for you to not even get set up for that or to pull away from it and the girls started creating, and this is why there need to be so many more programs. Yeah. The girls started creating a network. 
So they would kind of tell on each other when they'd see each other, they would say, hey, you know, what did we talk about last weekend? You know, stuff like that. Or they would come to them and say, you know, you know, you know, come with me or, you know, doing things that they'd learned in the program. And there are programs, you know, in DC and around the country, but there just need to be so many more. But that's a lot of what got it going on would do the prevention and then the intervention if the girls were, you know, um, kind of creeping to the to the other side. I love it. And, you know, it's got all of the elements of um, a really good prevention program in terms of creating education, um, you know, developing self-esteem, and then creating that support system um, that helps helps them stay with themselves, you know, and st- be who they are, um, which is hard. It's a hard thing to do. Um, so I really, I, I the, the program sounds amazing, and you're right. It needs you need to franchise it and take it around the world. Speaking of which, talk to us about Africa. Oh, that is one um, one of the questions that I, that I have in in one of my interviews is one of where are the two best places, but two places that you go for inspiration. Well, Africa is South Africa is one of them, and the Saxon Hotel specifically, because they have it used to be where, and I don't know, she may still go there where Oprah used to go. But when I went on my second trip to South Africa in 2006, I went to the Saxon Hotel, and they have this just fabulous massage therapy and other self-care activities, and so that's one of the places I go for inspiration. But the way the re- way I got to Africa initially, my book was being taken by a woman in my dad's church who had a church in Ghana in Accra, and she took it a group of book you know a bunch of books over there and started working with the girls over there on her visits. So that was my book. I didn't go, but my book was in in Ghana in 2004 um, when I kind of started the Got It Going On Girls Hip Hop Fitness Team. I wanted to work with a group that did work with with young people and I found Step Africa and Step Africa is one of the top um, black dance troops in the country that they use stepping as a dance um, genre. And Brian Williams, who is the founder, a good, good friend, um, he stepped in college, you know, black fraternities and sororities, and, and right. now it's become, you know, more than just fraternities and sororities, but he was stepping. And he said, I'm going to make a business out of this. And he told this to his mother. And she said, uh-uh, 25 years later, he is around the world. There's a stepping installation at the Museum of African-American History and Culture. Um, all that to say, in 2004, I took a delegation from Got It Going On over to South Africa because I wanted to have another experience for me, but also for the girls that I worked with. So these were two of the Got It Going On girls and taking the trip to South Africa, Step Africa had the Step Africa International Cultural Festival where they taught stepping and other United, you know, US dances and individuals learned African dances. So I learned Zulu and um, other dances from Africa, but I ended up going two more times. Wow. Um, own in 2006 and then in 2009, back with Step Africa, uh, just doing more work. And our, one of our first, well, our first stop on in 
in 2009 was to the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls. And at that wow. time, Juana Smallwood, who Oprah had kind of snatched from the Alvin Ailey dance troupe, she was their master um, instructor and she did a master class with Step Africa. But wow. I just felt a kinship with Africa and found it a wonderful place to do the same type of work. Right. Prevention, intervention, and just learning a different culture as well. You know, I've done some work um, with other ethnic groups, with Latina girls, with Asian girls, with African girls. Um, and I, I'm looking to expand that because self-love and self-esteem is needed by all girls. For sure. It's, well, that sounds, that must've been an amazing trip for, for your delegation, for the girls that you brought from uh, Got It Going On. Um, it was. It trip was. of a lifetime, I would think. It was. We had to have them go through some training with the South African Embassy. And I also wanted them to learn the customs and culture mm -hmm. of Africa, because I think a lot of people from the United States go to some foreign country sometimes feeling like, well, we're going to teach them our way because our way is the best and all that. And um, I really I didn't want them to go because we were visiting at another country as if right. we were, you know, visiting someone else's home. Right. I thought it was really important for us not to go there in an arrogant fashion, but to go humbly and that the girls needed to understand that. And what was interesting, having to share with them that some of the customs, we, we, they had to be very careful. Some of the customs could get the girls, some of the things that we might think are okay, could get the girls killed. Wow. Their customs either speaking up or, you know, just some certain things. And I, that had to be impressed upon them. And that was um, done really well by the South African embassy here. So I'm very, very grateful to them. That sounds amazing. I bet you're looking forward to going back. I am. I am. Yeah, hopefully the world will open up soon. I know Africa has been hard hit as well yeah. by, yeah. by COVID. Well, thank you so much. The, the work you're doing is exciting and um, so positive, and it's really fun to um, talk about ways to really change the narrative, right? Change the way we, um, we, we think about ourselves and the way we think about ourselves in relationship, but you're doing something that's really very direct and um, it's, it's so important. And I, anything that we can do to help you spread the word and, and get those programs going in every community in the United States and around the world. I mean, um, and yeah, you're right. It's not just girls of color that need the, need, need the, the experience, but it's the special challenges of, um, our society right now makes your um, program even that much more important. So I'm grateful to you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate being able to share about my life and to share about the work that I do with girls and got it going on. Yeah, well, we're going to we're going to explore this some more in the context of um, looking at intimate partner violence in the black community. Um, there are, uh, unfortunately, much higher rates of um, intimate partner violence, sexual violence, and homicide um, for um, black women. So the work you're doing is really important in, in making those numbers change and go on a downward mm -hmm. uh, 
and that's and that's really what what we're, this is all about. So, thanks, uh, Janice, for being here, and um, we're going to see you in October. Um, and everybody can keep an eye out for that webinar. The information is always available on VoicesForChange.net. So, thank you. Thanks, Hope. Thank you. And we will definitely spread the word. I look forward to working with Tracy to help more people learn about the amazing work you're doing, Janice. Um, I hope to feature you on my magazine, incandescentwomen.com. And we can maybe even do another interview with you with Cynthia DeLorenzi, another phenom from DC, who's also here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but you see always wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you for letting us all be a part of spreading the word to end intimate partner violence for everyone around the world. So thank you everyone for listening. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs with Incandescent Radio and Incandescent TV. And we will talk to you soon on the next episode of Voices for Change. Thanks for being with us today. 